Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect love. We thank you that you are a God who is not silent. You have spoken. You've spoken in your word and you have given it to us. You've revealed it through the scriptures, through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege of opening up your word tonight. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. May we encounter you and uh, feel and understand your presence, that our lives would be changed as a result of your word shaping our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be looking back to that passage that Sandy read earlier that we, that we opened our service with in Isaiah chapter 53. This is the famous suffering servant passage in the Old Testament. It's, it's the most concise and clear, or one of the most concise and clear places in the Old Testament that details out the sufferings of Christ. And this was written 400 years before Christ would, would arrive, and, and it's just astounding the, the level of detail that is prophesied here in this text. Now, this speaks of this mysterious figure, this, this servant of God who would come and suffer for the sake of his people. And we know, of course, from the New Testament that this person is identified as Jesus. The first thing we're going to look at in Isaiah 53 is that God rescues us through the ordinary. Verses one through three, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So basically in verse one, God is saying, I'm going to send you a rescuer. This rescuer is not going to be the kind of rescuer that you think. He's, he's going to be a man that is not going to be, uh, we're not going to be, be drawn to him. There's no former majesty, no beauty in this coming rescuer. In fact, it's, it's so bad. It's not just talking about his physical appearance or stature or, you know, his physical impressiveness. It's also that he's going to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now think about this. A rescuer who is worth his salt is not one who's sorrowful and sad, not one who is uh, under the burden of grief. A, a rescuer is someone who's happy and victorious, someone who uh, does business, you know, against sin and evil and, and has victory over those things and, and, uh, and is excited about that. You know, rescuers are not sad, they're, they're exuberant. And so what is this, this prophet talking about, this coming servant? Of course, we know that the only way this can be resolved, uh, this paradox can be resolved is to look forward to the cross that there is victory in the cross, although the cross is the last thing that we would expect of a rescuer. How can a savior who comes to defeat sin and Satan and death end up dying on a cross? How is that possible? And we'll see the answer to that later in our text. But the idea here is that God shows up in the ordinary, uh, in, in the humdrum, in the day-to-day, -day, in, the, in the sufferings and the irritations of ordinary life. And here's just a kind of few examples in ordinary life where this can be seen and felt. You know, 
We want God to, to guide us and reveal himself to us and, and direct our steps. Uh, we want him to sort of speak to us and give us impressions and have feelings that are, we just like, wow, God is really guiding, guiding me and directing me on this. Uh, but normally, in the ordinary way that God does relationship with us is he speaks to us through the ordinariness of reading his word day in, day out, praying to him, depending on him in daily prayer, uh, and, and just the ordinary in and out of, of time with God. Uh, quantity time leads to quality time with God. You know, and so sometimes we want sort of that flash of emotion or, uh, you know, wisdom in a moment to, to make a, a decision on the spot. God doesn't usually do it that way. But he, as we just immerse ourselves day in and day out in the scriptures, he uses that to shape our hearts and to make our hearts wise so that when we do make decisions, it ends up being more likely his will. Another way we see this is, you know, God wants to grow us up, to mature us. Uh, we want it to happen all at once. You know, we want kind of microwave sanctification. We want it now. And we can get discouraged and feel defeated to, from time to time, you know, with, with bad habits or struggles or problems or oppressions in our lives. We want overnight success and change. We can get impatient sometimes, sometimes even upset if it's just not happening. We look to the example of Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, where God had given him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. All we know that it was some physical ailment that just wrecked his life day in and day out. It just, and he begged, he pleaded with God to take it away. And he replied, no, he said, I'm not going to take away that thorn. My grace is sufficient for you. And so he used that, that daily irritation in his life the thing that he was begging God to remove, to shape him, to help him to be more dependent on God, to help him to realize his need for Jesus every day, to keep him from being conceited. It kept a check on his pride and it, and it kept him humble and agile in his heart to relate to God and to be dependent on him. And Tim Keller says this, if you want God's power in your life, we think it's going to come with guns a-blazing, Instead, he gives you irritations, irritating people, irritating colleagues at work, irritating siblings. He gives you people who are just a pain. They're a thorn in the side. You say, Lord, why can't you change me? Why can't you change them? Why can't you just change the situation? And God says, don't you understand how my power works? It works through the ordinary stuff, ordinary day in and day out, leaning on me, learning patience, learning humility. We want the spectacular, but God gives us the ordinary. The second thing that we see in Isaiah 53 is the sheer magnitude of God's love. Verses four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And without his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's one thing to suffer and have no choice in the matter. But it's quite another to voluntarily enter suffering for the sake of others. 
I late last year went on a trip, a mission trip to Cuba to visit our uh, church planting partner and his wife, Alexis and Ty, there in Pinar del Rio in Cuba. And it was a wonderful visit with them. And um, they don't have a lot of resources and their home is in the back of the, the church building that they have and there's leaks in the roof. And, and yet they were so hospitable. They opened their homes, they opened their hearts and they pulled together all these, this food for these meals to, to bless me and to, to bring me into their hospitality and their love in their home. And at one point I, I told them that I kind of felt bad for them sacrificing so much for me. And they, they just insisted, no, we wouldn't have it any other way. You're a friend and friends do this for friends. Um, they, they were uh, preparing things that were way beyond their means in ordinary life. And so it just seeing that sacrifice and that voluntary, that desire to give for someone else. It, it, I felt truly, truly loved and God used them to touch my heart. We see this voluntary nature of Christ's love, this, this suffering servant's love. We see it in verse four, surely has borne our griefs. The NIV translation says he took up our infirmities. So it's not just that our sins and sorrows were put on Jesus. It's that Jesus came in and he took them, he lifted them from us and took them on to himself. He came to get our sorrows and sins and struggles and take them on. In John 10, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The fact that Jesus was voluntarily dying for us and offering himself shows us the utter depth of his love. Now think about this question. What kind of force did it take to keep hanging on the cross. When he was hanging there, what was keeping him there? You know, we may think that it was the nails that kept him there. Uh, Michael Card is a, is a singer songwriter and he wrote a song called Why? And here's part of the lyrics to that song as he reflects on that question. He says, why did they nail his feet and hands when his love would have held him there? When you see that Jesus' love is what kept him on the cross. It melts your heart and it motivates you to give your all to him. Keller puts it this way. He says, Jesus lost everything. He was crushed. He was marred beyond human likeness. He didn't even look human anymore. He lost his glory. He lost his beauty. He lost his father. Yet he looks at you and me and says, it was all worth it. What does this mean? He loves you more than he loves the entire world. He was willing to let everything go, including his very life in order to get us. That is love. Do you see, do you feel the sheer magnitude of his love? And third and finally, we see not only that Jesus' death was voluntary, but that it was vicarious. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he doesn't just show us what sacrificial love is. He doesn't just defend us and advocate for us. And he's not just a teacher. He's a savior. He doesn't just exemplify love. He shows us and demonstrates love in our lives. He puts ourself in our place on the cross. He stood in for us to receive the punishment that we deserved. 
And we see this in verses 10 through 12, especially. It's actually woven all through uh, the verses that we've already read, but especially in verses 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That phrase, numbered with, he was numbered with the transgressors. That means that he was counted with, he was treated as a transgressor, even though he was not a sinner. He was treated as if he was a sinner. When he was being nailed to the cross, he was receiving the, the just punishment of God the Father that we deserved. And he received it. He was numbered with us. He was counted as and treated as we should have been treated. Also, we are treated as if we had done all the righteous things that Jesus did when he was living on this earth. And he was perfectly obedient when he was representing us as a perfect human being, we get his righteousness as if we had obeyed, as if we had acted righteously. And that's all by his grace. When we turn from our sins and repentance and place our faith in him, we, we entrust ourselves, our whole lives into his care and we lean on him. We get his righteousness. He gets our sin the debt is paid and we have the freedom to come into God's presence and have a relationship with him. John Stott speaks of this idea of substitution. He actually says that the idea across the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about substitution. Another way to think of this is sin is you and me substituting ourselves for God, putting ourselves where only God should be, which is we put ourselves on the throne of our own lives we go our own way, as the prophet says. Uh, and, that, and then, uh, so salvation is God substituting himself for us, putting himself where only we should be, on the scaffold, on the cross. And religion says that we obey in order to be accepted by God, but the gospel is that we are accepted by God on the basis of his substitutionary sacrifice and his righteousness, and therefore we obey from a heart of gratitude. Now, when this truth of this suffering servant, when this takes hold in our lives, we see the magnitude, the depth uh, that Christ went to, to rescue us, to save us, to pay for our sins. It should melt us. It should take hold in our lives and it changes our relationships. It changes everything, every way that we think and do and relate in this world. You know, we, we begin to see our, our lives begin to start, uh, start getting patterned after Jesus. And so as he laid his life down for us, we lay our lives down for others. We are, are glad to be inconvenienced and, and take some hits for the sake of others, if it blesses others, because that's what Jesus did for us. We can, we can be satisfied in, in serving people and, and not having to be in the limelight and, and to be noticed. And, you know, we're not doing it to, to gain glory or gain attention. Uh, we're glad to be behind the scenes and let others shine and let them be lifted up. We can let go of, of time and, and, and money and energy and just resources to, to fight injustice in the world and, and discouragement and unbelief in the world and be a part of God's kingdom as the church goes forth. 
because of Christ laying his life down for us and, and with that deep love, we can love our friends, we can love our neighbors, the lost, our families, we can love our church well. We can do this with gladness and not reluctantly. And we love even our enemies, even though they hurt us, even though people, you know, maybe the poor, uh, the outcasts, they have nothing to give back, but we love without expecting anything in return. And we live this way. We, this, this is an outflowing of a believer, someone who gets it, who gets the love of this suffering servant. We do these things because of the love of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we um, find ourselves in a lot of change, um, you know, the things going on in the world with uh, this virus and, and even before the virus, and just there's, there's other issues, uh, there's other sufferings, there's other challenges uh, that are continuing. Um, Lord, we have our own sins to, to deal with. We uh, are hurt by others and we hurt others because of our sin. Father, we hurt your heart um, when we put ourselves on the throne and we, we go our own way and, and we find ourselves far from you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word that reminds us of the gospel, reminds us of what Jesus came to do and to be for us. Thank you that you show up in the ordinary moments of life. And Father, you know, we may expect a certain way that you show up, or we may expect you to be a certain kind of savior, um, but you don't let us box you in. Lord, you love us too much to put you in a box and put you into our expectations. We thank you for not allowing us to do that. And Lord, you love to sneak up on us and, and just through your invisible hand of providence, um, you bless us in ways we would never expect. Father, we thank you that your love is, is an endless fountain. It's inexhaustible and we can love others from that place. As you pour into us, we pour into others. And we can lay our lives down for the sake of others because that's what you did for us. And Father, um, this is the first Good Friday service that I've been a part of where we didn't do the Lord's Supper. And Father, we, we lament that. We miss the ability to, uh, to partake of the bread and the wine together in person. Father, we thank you that uh, you're not limited by space, that you um, are with us spiritually, binding us together. But we do long for that day when we can have that physical presence of the body, the body life of the church, where we can uh, encourage each other and, and uh, shake hands and pat each other on the back and talk and listen and, and uh, partake in the Lord's Supper. And so we long for that day when we can taste and see that you are good uh, in our bodies as well as in our spirits. But meanwhile, thank you that you're ministering to us and, and uh, supporting us and you're present with us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be full of joy and expectation as we look forward to Easter Sunday. Father, help us to take seriously the cross, the sin that, that put you there, and take seriously the resurrection as we long for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.